We've been talking through what it means to move from sheep to shepherd. Most of us who were called to follow Christ often get stuck there, and we don't ever learn to come alongside of Christ and work on things together with him. In other words, following Christ is the beginning of our Christian walk, but it goes on. It goes into becoming shepherds like Jesus Christ. And so we've talked the last four or five weeks about what it means to move from sheep, from being a sheep, to being a shepherd. We've laid that out in the series of four marks. Shepherds know, they feed, they lead, and they protect. And the way to do this, we said, is to practice five disciplines. We have to identify our sheep. We've got to know who it is that God has brought into our lives that we're supposed to help them flourish and thrive. We have to build trust with those people and then help them interpret or discern the voice of God as he speaks to them. We have to bring them together when they're being scattered by either things inside the fold or outside of the fold. And finally this morning, as we'll talk, we have to empower those that God has put in our lives to go and shepherd other people. In Matthew, after Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he has a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. After coming down from what is arguably one of the best sermons ever, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as Jesus is leaving the platform or the mount, that was a big platform, uh, he is immediately met with someone who has leprosy. The person needs to be healed. As soon as he leaves that person, another person comes up who's like a centurion, works for the Roman government, and he says, I got a servant. I can't even make it to you, and I need you to heal him. Jesus heals that person. Then he runs into a couple disciples who think they're disciples, but they're really only half-hearted disciples. And then he leaves them, and he runs into some other disciples who get caught in a storm, and they're afraid. Oh, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. No sooner do they park the boat on the other side of the lake when he's met by a couple of people who are demon-possessed. He casts a demon. This goes on, people, for Matthew chapter 8 and 9. It is one incident after another, and each one is joined together by phrases that say, after this, or then Jesus. So you get the idea that right after Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, what everybody misses is the next 24 to 48 hours was one long, enormous, expensive day where people are just drawing stuff out of him. People are demon-possessed. They're half-hearted. They're filled with all kinds of diseases. They're being led by people who are bullying them. And Jesus is running into every one of these. And at the end of Matthew chapter 9, this is the way Matthew describes it. He says, after Jesus had seen the crowd, he was moved with compassion. For they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, pray and ask the Lord of the harvest so that he will send forth laborers. He could have said shepherds. Because the metaphor that he used right before was not about harvesting, it was about shepherding. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out shepherds. In a few moments, we're going to ask you to make that decision. We're going to ask you at the end of the service today to just step up and say, you know what, God is calling me to just shepherd people wherever I'm at. Some of you don't know who all that is yet, but you're starting in your places, whether school, work, home. You're looking around you. You're starting to look laterally instead of just at the job. It's not just be the best that I can be. This is also where has God placed me and who has he put around me? And as you do that, you're starting to find people. And then as you do that, you're beginning to build trust and you're learning how to hear from God and how to say some things to others that maybe God has said to you. So in a few moments, we'll ask you to come forward and make that commitment. When I first read Jesus's phrase uh, or the phrase about Jesus in Matthew 9, I made two notes to myself. One of them was that after I have a day that Jesus had, that is not my dominant emotion. When he saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. Note to self, why don't I feel compassion? I mean, why do I feel pressed in on? Why do I feel frustrated and torn in a thousand different directions? My default emotion is not compassion. It's frustration, it's stress, it's anxiety, it's I got to get out of here. So if it were me, it would be say, and when Steve saw the crowds, he turned and went to the airport, would not say he was moved with compassion. Why is that second note? Maybe because Jesus diagnosed things that I wouldn't diagnose Jesus says he saw that the people were harassed and helpless. One more time, the people that he saw as harassed and helpless were filled with demons, they were filled with diseases, they were running into all sorts of things that were entrapping them, they were bullying other people, they appeared to be largely disinterested in religion, and yet when he saw them, he said their problem is that they're like sheep without a shepherd. That would not be my diagnosis. And so I cannot feel what Jesus feels because I don't see what Jesus sees. And until, listen to me please, until I understand that one of the biggest problems in our community today is that we lack shepherds. Until I can get in that mindset, until I can look at the same symptoms and say, you know what the problem is? We lack shepherds. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. Right now, I would tell you that the problem in Marion is poverty. We are the second highest poverty level in the state of Indiana, first highest among children. Find the statistics, we'll get them if you need them. 33% of all kids in Grant County are living below the poverty line. Now, I would say the problem then is an economic problem. 
or the problem is a breakdown of the family. Listen to this. 80% of all children living in Grant County attending Marion schools, 80%, four out of five, are coming from single-parent homes. Now, time out. I'm not suggesting that a single-parent home is inferior. Most people who live in a single-parent home did not choose to live in a single-parent home. Rather, the situation was handed to them by someone else who was acting selfishly. But still, they find themselves in a single-parent home, and every sociologist will tell you that is a harder situation than a two-parent home. They may be better parents. In fact, most of them are. Many of them are. But the situation, the climate is harder. And I'm telling you, four out of five of our students are coming from homes like that. So the problem must be a family problem. The police tell me that we have problems in Marion that rival the problems in Chicago. Only we have 29,000 people. They have about 10 million. So I would say that our problem is violence or the problem is drugs or the problem is prejudice. I will point to any number of problems. And so the solutions that I'll come up with are largely political. I will say we need a new government. We need new laws. We need more military. We need more police force. In other words, I would give you the Republican and Democratic debate in synopsis. I would say the problem is huge. And then I would follow with a series of political, sociological answers. And when Jesus saw the crowd, he said their problem is they lack a shepherd. As long as I keep throwing political answers at what is primarily a shepherding problem, I cannot solve the problem. So the purpose is for Jesus Christ to find economists and coaches and teachers and lawyers and medical professionals and business leaders and stay-at-home parents watch it, and convert them into shepherds so that when they go to work, they go to work with a mindset of a shepherd so that even though they may use economic solutions, they use them from the heart of a shepherd. The mindset has changed. Some of the answers might be the same, but now they're coming from the heart of a shepherd because the problem primarily is a lack of shepherds. So when I meet with community leaders, and I do from time to time, or we'll pull in families into a room, some I've never met before, and I simply ask them two questions. One of them is, what do you suggest is the biggest problem in Marion? And number two, what is the easiest, most efficient way to fix that problem? Consistently across the board, I hear the same answer. It doesn't matter who I ask. I hear the same answer. People are feeling alone. They're feeling abandoned. They don't have good role models. They don't have people. They don't have good friends. And what is the best solution, I say? They need people to come alongside of them 
And they'll say they need mentors, they need coaches, they need people to develop them. They don't have words, but they could have said, they need shepherds. It's funny that our problems can be measured statistically, but the answers are not statistic. The answers are all relationships. It's when someone takes the heart of a shepherd and begins to shepherd people around them. So, when Jesus used the phrase, they are like sheep without a shepherd, he spoke out of the Old Testament. It's several times. You can trace that phrase again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. Back in the days of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were contemporaries. Israel had just lost, well, Israel had just had their 9-1-1. The Babylonians had broken through the wall. And they watched it in horror. And then the Babylonians set fire to their temple the way they set fire to our temple on 9-1-1. And there was pandemonium in the streets and there was chaos and people had all kinds of answers. The blame was going everywhere just like America at 9-11. And two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, rose up and said, here's the problem. We have leaders who are not acting like shepherds. Ezekiel 34 describes bad shepherds. And Ezekiel says, the shepherds come and they don't take care of the people. They only take care of themselves. They eat the best food. They clothe themselves with the wool from the people that they're leading. They slaughter the choice animals. They do not take care of the sheep. Listen to the prophet. Should not the shepherd care for the sheep? So this is what I'll do, says the Lord. I will take the sheep away from the shepherds and I will shepherd them myself. I will lead them out of the countries where they've been scattered and I will bring them to one place. And there they will begin to feed on the best pasture they've ever seen. When Jesus comes on the scene, what he sees is Ezekiel's day. He sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And what he says he'll do is to be the good shepherd over those people. Now, in John 10, this is the phrase Jesus uses. Comes out of nowhere. He just goes, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I will bring them also. Hear the gathering language? They too will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. How's he going to do that? How's he going to reach out and find people and bring people who are not in front of him? How is he going to get people who've never heard his voice to follow his voice? Jeremiah has the answer. Jeremiah says, after I gather the people in one place, Jeremiah 23, verse 4, I will place over them other shepherds who will take care of them. 
And then the people will no longer be afraid and they will no longer be terrified. So what Jesus will do is gather the people and then after he gathers them, he will place other shepherds over the people so that when their people hear their voice, they've actually heard his voice because he has poured himself into those people. Does that make sense? Say yes, because I can't say that again. I mean, I think this is what is happening in John chapter 17. Listen, it's the high priestly prayer. In John 17, Jesus is praying for the 12, and this is what he prays. Lord, I pray for those that you have given me. That's in verse 9. Protect them by the power of your name. May they be one as we are one. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the 12. But a few verses later, listen to the language change. It's in verse 20 of John 17. He says, watch it, my prayer is not only for them, but for those who will believe on me through their message. Now watch what he prays for them. I pray that they may be one. Who? Does he mean the 12? No. He means the people who will believe on him through the message of the 12. I pray that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, may they. Who? The 12? No. The people that he's never seen. May the people that I have never seen be one as we are one so that the world may know that you have sent me. Keep reading in verse 24 and 25. May they know. Who? The 12? No. The people he's never seen. May they know that you love them as much as you love me. Do you see what he's doing? He is pouring his soul into a handful of people and he's giving them his voice and as those people go out and speak into other voices they actually hear his voice we call it empowering remember we drew these circles some weeks ago we said that it all begins when we start to identify a small group of people from 3 to 12 that we can pour into the way that Jesus poured into his disciples outside of that was a group we said of 50 it's people that still know who we are and we know them on a name to name basis no lots of details but we're not as intimate with the 50 as we are with the 12 or the 5 or 3 or however many outside of that was 150 people about the number of people that you follow on Facebook or Twitter on average right now and outside of that is a group of 500 and the rule that we made was as our audience increases our influence decreases so the idea is I can shepherd more people less but I have to shepherd less people more This is a day when through social media and through the busyness of our schedules, I fear many of us are too comfortable shepherding more people less. 
We would rather be friends with 150 people on Facebook than to really be in a room one-on-one with five of them. I'm an introvert, so I love that. I have friends, two, well, more. But I have a few that I know really, really close. And so when you talk to me, an introvert, how many of you out there are that way, kind of bent that way, get energy alone? Okay, all right. When you talk to us about shepherding a few people, we'll always play the whole, well, I don't get it. I'm, not, I'm kind of confused. I don't know what you mean. I don't really have anybody in my circle. So I'll use as confusion or something what is really fear. The truth is I'm afraid to be in a room with five people. So just let me shepherd more people less. And you heard me say, well, you can, but not until you shepherd less less people, more. So it starts here by identifying those people. The only way for us to shepherd more people out here is to empower people in that circle who then reach the people out there, which is exactly what I think Jesus did. He says, I pray For those that you have given me, may they be one as we are one. And then in verse 20, he says, I pray not only for them, but for those who will believe on their message so that they may be one as they are one, as we are one, so that the world may know that you've sent me. The only way to get the world is to get the people in his circle who then spread out and get the world. So here's the question. It changes the game for us. Now the question is no longer, as a shepherd, how well do I know my sheep and feed them, lead them, and protect them? Now the question is, how do I get the people who are in my circle to start doing these things for the people that are in their circle? Now, you'll have all kinds of answers, but that is the question. That is the question. How do I get people who are in my field of influence to practice the marks of a shepherd with the people who are in their field of influence? I can only tell you what happened to me. As if it will be some kind of sideline advice. One, It began when somebody helped me to know the people that were in my circle. The first thing we have to do, it seems, with these people here in the little circles is to help them know who to know. They need help identifying. I told you in the past, there's a few things we're looking for. We're looking for people that are already in our line of sight. I don't have the freedom to just say, oh, I don't want to shepherd them. I want to shepherd somebody all the way over here. No, I have about 50 people that are reporting to me, but I'm not going to shepherd them. I'm going to shepherd the people I want to shepherd. No, God gets a say in this, right? 
So we have to ask ourselves, who has he already placed me in the company of? I may not shepherd all of them, but I can't shepherd none of them. There has to be at least some from my immediate field of influence. I mean, they're there for a reason. So the first thing is, who's already in my line of sight? Then the second thing is, of that number of people, with whom do I have more pull, more sway, more influence? There are already people in my line of sight who listen to my voice, they know my voice, and so they follow me. There is no point in me trying to shepherd people who won't follow me. That's not called shepherding, that's called dragging That's called taking hostages. Okay, I don't need to do that. I already have a number of people in my line of sight. Some of them already know my voice. Now, put them on the list. Number three, there are people from that number that God has put a fire in my heart, a passion to spend more time with those people. If you are a leader over a lot of people, you can't shepherd them all. So you're going to narrow it by saying, I got a room full of people who is already sort of listening to my voice when I speak about lots of subjects, and of that number, who do I feel called or drawn to in my spirit or my personality, because those are the ones that God may be calling me to shepherd. You can't shepherd everyone who is in front of you or even everyone who listens to your voice. So the first thing people are doing for me is to help me know the people I'm supposed to know. Feed. As long as people are eating what I'm feeding them, believing me, they're great followers, but they're not shepherds. As a rule of thumb, Sheep eat, shepherds feed. They feed themselves. They become self-feeders. They don't always wait for the next meeting. They have learned to pull apart on their own and feed themselves the way that we used to feed them. And they feed other people. How have people done this for me? I have had people in my life teach me how to read the scripture. There's a lot of ways to read it. And they never sat down and said, now here's the proper hermeneutic, get this down. They simply read scripture with me, alongside of me, and I watched their eyes come alive And I listened to the tone of their voice changed. I watched people savor words from Scripture. Started with my parents. It went from there to some of the professors. It went to some preachers that I've listened to. I have friends today that I love to sit in a room and watch them quote Scripture. And the second I misquote it, they'll say, yeah, here's what Jesus said. They will say, no, 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 that's not what he said. That isn't the word. Listen to the word. Like, dude, you're really hyped up about this. He's like, savor the word, listen to the word. And by doing it, they taught me to love Scripture the way that they love it. They taught me how to read other things. One old man I've referred to before, 
Dennis Kinlaw, when I was speaking with him annually, he would always cite from one author to the next. One day he said, Denef, what books are you reading? Are they any good? I said, yeah, I'm reading some good books. He said, stop it. You don't have time for good books. You have time for great ones. Every good book you read is a great one you don't have time for. So you have to read great books. So I said what you're thinking, perfect, tell me the books. (laughs) And I noticed something. With the exception of one or two books, he almost never gave me titles of books. He gave me names of authors. He was connecting me with other shepherds. He was saying, these are people who are answering the kinds of things that I think are crucial to the work that you are in. Read these people. Don't just read these books. What was he doing? He was trying to communicate to me a value system. Every time I looked for answers, I got more questions. And I kept saying, Dude, we got the role reversed here now. My job is to ask you questions, and your job as a wise old man is to give me answers. And he kept saying, no, no, your job is to sit there while I ask you questions, and then it's to go out and find the answer. But by changing the questions, he changed my pursuit I started pursuing other things because the questions changed. You ever sat next to a wise old person and said, I have a problem, and when you told them the problem, they never answered you? And you thought to yourself, what is the matter with you, old man, you old woman? I need an answer. You know why you think that? Why I did? Because you're too young. The way you get your answer is by sitting next to wise old people and letting them talk alongside the problem rather than on the problem. And as they talk alongside the problem about other things, you'll have the answer. Because they will speak not in terms of skills that you need, they will speak of value systems. What is important and what are the questions? You still with me? Lead. As long as people follow their sheep, but when they learn to hear God's voice on their own, they become shepherds who can feed their sheep. One of the best things people have done for me in the area of leading me was to affirm the thing that God has called me to do. Please. When I was in my 20s, some old guy, I don't even remember who it was, but I never forgot the advice. This is what he said. He said, Deneff, the best decision you will ever make in your life is the promotion that you turn down. I said, which one will that be? He said, I don't know. But when it comes along, you will turn it down. You will be tempted to do it because you will think that by doing it, you will have a larger audience. But while your audience may get larger, your power will get smaller because you are no longer operating in your strength, but in your weakness. You will need 
a parade of people to tell you who you are. You cannot find who you are by yourself. You need people to tell you who you are. And then you will need people to keep you who you are while everybody else tries to make you somebody else. Some years ago, I wrote a paper for a class at IWU. Keith Dury, he's in the back now. You can haunt him later. He read the paper, calls me out of the blue. Hardly, I don't think I ever talked to the guy before. And on the phone, he simply says, I just read your paper. You've got to write. Met in a restaurant in cold water in that conversation. He said, I will get you the stuff that you need to get, read, connect you with whoever you need to, but you need to write. Now, I said, that's not all I want to do. I want to do other things. He basically said, you do other things, but you better do that one because if you don't do that one, if you don't use words, you are leaving the thing God has called you to do to go do something less. Do it if you want, but you have to do this. So I did that for five or six years and started running out of juice. Moved to IWU, started to pastor this campus. All sorts of political interests and special interest groups in college church. I know that surprises you, but it's true. And so I was moving in all sorts of directions. I called about four people into a room over at McCon Coffee, sat down and said, ah, somebody got to help me figure out my life. David Wright, who was then on the church board, said, Steve, there are three things that people do to impact the future. One of them is they run organizations. They're like administrators. The other one is they lead people. They're like counselors, they're therapists, they're people people. And the third one is they use ideas or words to shape the imagination. Steve, if I read you right, you're good with words and ideas. I thought what he was saying was, you're awful at administration. You're terrible at that stuff. Dude, do what you can do. It was an important correction for me. I walked out of Kinlaw's house one day, and on the porch, I turned around and said, I think i got to make some decisions. He said, about what? I said, about what I'm going to do next. He went, you better preach. I said, I think I'm done. I'm tired. It's too much work. He said, you better figure it out. You may have to learn to preach better, and you may have to be smarter. But if you do not continue to use words, you've left your call. Do you see what these people are doing for me? People are coming alongside of me and telling me, this is who you are. Stay in that lane. And once I knew who I was, I could lead out of my strength. Protect. This is going to seem weird to you. But I think the way that we help these people protect is to release them. The tendency is to take people who are following us and pull them closer in because we think these people are like reflections of who we are. We're not after reflections. These people are not mirrors of our personality. They are magnifying glasses. They take our value system and they magnify it a thousand times over the things that they're leading, not the things that we're leading.
my observation has been that most of the time when I release people, it is too late. I always think they need to stay close a little longer. My guess is, if you're over, if you're an overseer with people around you at work right now or in the dorm, if you have followers, you will release them too late. They don't have to be as good as you are at it. They just have to know the one thing they were called by God to do and then you cut them loose. And the longer we hold on to them, the longer we keep them close. The smaller, listen to me, the smaller their lives become. People shrink when we don't let go of them on time. So I'm in a Bible study. I'm 28 years old. It's the last year I'm in Romulus, tiny church. Every Thursday morning, six old ladies said, we're having a Bible study and you need to be in it. I don't have time for that, I said. I didn't say it, but I thought it. What they were saying was, you need help, young man, and we want you to be in this group. So I did. Every Thursday morning for what was supposed to be an hour, almost always two, went over to the Clark's house and met with six old ladies while they prayed. One morning I said to them, you guys, I have really bad news. God has called me to leave this church. Where are you going? I said, I don't know. Are you talking with another church? I said, I am not. So you're just going to leave this church and not know where you're going. I said, it looks like that's what's going to happen. Where will you end up? I don't know. I may not pastor again, I said. They gathered around me and they prayed. And as I hugged every last one of them, one of those little old ladies said something to me I will never forget. She said, pastor, we're not a very large church. And there's a lot of things that we don't do well. I thought, <laughs> but the one thing we do really well is we find young people and we knock some of the edges off and we get them ready for the greater church. That's what we do. That's our place. Then she said, God has given you wings to fly. Go fly. And when you don't know where you're going or if you're going anywhere, those are important words. Those are words of release. I don't know where you're going this morning. I don't know what field that you're going into. But I know that you, listen to me, are capable of making a far greater impact than you think. It doesn't matter if you're a student preparing for a discipline or you're a person who's been in a career for a while. God has called you to make a greater impact than what you imagine. This morning, I'm calling you to be commissioned as one of his shepherds. If you won't do that this morning, it's okay. This may not be the time, but if this isn't the time for you, will you at least do this? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out shepherds because we have a shepherding need. You have cards. Did you get a card when you came in this morning? It looks like this. 
on the one side, on the one side are two things that we're asking you to commit to. And on the other side are things that we will do for you once you commit. If you can this morning in all conscience say, I feel led by God in the area where I am already going, where I'm already serving, I feel led by God to practice the marks of a shepherd. This is what he wants me to do, to magnify my influence over these people by practicing the disciplines. Then I'm going to ask you to turn the card over and put your contact information on that. It's your name can't read without my glasses. It's the domain, contact information, email, a way for us to contact you because every person that we commissioned this morning in a couple of minutes, we're going to contact personally to make sure that you have what you need. And we've laid out the next nine or ten months of resources and pastoral care and big or small events that you can come to free in order to come alongside you and identify your sheep and build trust and interpret God's voice. We will help you find those skills. But what we need this morning is to identify those that God is elevating to become shepherds.